We've, um, my wife and I have spent uh, many holidays in Norfolk. Uh, we love that county, uh, and in fact, we just got back from there last week, had a week there in Norfolk. Um, uh, and uh, there is a, a stately home in Norfolk, not Sandringham, there's another one, uh, where there used to be a, a lovely garden centre, walled garden, um, full of many plants, and, and Wendy loved to go there. So we often made that journey over to Holcombe Hall and the garden centre there. So on this particular occasion, it's quite a number of years ago, um, we went uh, and... Um, and Wendy looked round at the plants, and I looked round a bit, but I, I don't, I don't find much more interesting vegetables myself. Um, so in the end, I just sat down and let her get on with it. Uh, and uh, I, I sat down by the um, till where the lady who was serving you as she went out was taking the money. Uh, and as we sat there, I, I, I'm always doing this. I, I whistled or hummed or something like that which I'm doing all the time, drives my wife to distraction, but, I, but I, I, you know, it's just what I do. Uh, and the lady on the till suddenly looked at me, uh, 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 and she said, do you know what you're whistling? Well, as it happened, usually it's pretty tuneless. <laughs> um, but on this particular occasion, I, I did know what I was doing, and it stuck in my mind, although it was quite a while ago, and it's actually the, the one we've just sung, Jesus shall take the highest honour. Um, and she looked at me, I said, yes, I do, I do know it. And she smiled and she said, you're the Lord's then. <laughs> uh, and it was lovely. Uh, she, she belonged to a local Baptist church and till Wendy came up with her purchases, we, we spent a lovely time in fellowship together. And that's just a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> you can go all over the country and then come across somebody and immediately there's a bond, isn't there, in, in the Christian faith. Um, but what stuck in my mind ever since was the phrase that she used you're the Lord's then but she could have said oh you go to church and that would have been true she could have said you're a Christian and that would have been true but what she said was you're the Lord's then and, and that of course is exactly <clears throat> the phrase that the apostle uses here in this 14th chapter uh, of the letter to the Romans. Verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. In many ways, of course, Christians are indistinguishable from anybody else. Uh, we breathe, we eat, like anybody else. If you prick us, we bleed like anybody else. We break our limbs like anybody else. Uh, there, there are no distinctive marks outwardly, are there? There, there is no cross on our foreheads that mark us out as Christians. Uh, there's no halo hovering over your heads tonight. At least if there is, I can't see it. <laughs> uh, and there are no wings sprouting from our shoulder blades. Uh, we look just like anybody else. Um, in, in some ways, there should be some outward, di outward differences uh, between those who are the Lord's people and those who are not. We ought to be able to be more joyful in difficulties than 
perhaps sometimes we are. We ought, we ought to be calmer in a crisis. We ought to be holy in life. But sadly, we don't always match up to that, do we? But, but there is a profound difference inwardly. Uh, and if you can't pick it up outwardly, it is there inwardly. Uh, we live and we die like anybody else. But as Paul says, if we live or if we die, we are the Lord's. Now, I think it's important here that we just note the context uh, of what Paul is saying because it is a very, actually, very practical uh, and a very, very important chapter um, that, that, you know, really we do ought to take notice of because it's about how we um, govern our relationships with our fellow believers. Um, we're at different stages of understanding, aren't we? We have different backgrounds, we have different views, different opinions. Uh, our consciences work in different ways. We are a very disparate group of people in, in, in many ways with regard to our feelings or our ideas or the lifestyles that we have chosen. Um, but, but the point that Paul is making here is that these horizontal relationships between us are regulated by our vertical relationship. That is what should govern us in the way in which we react to one another and behave towards one another. The fact that we are the Lord's people that should be what should govern our relationships with one another. Mr. Smith over there in the corner, don't look round, he's a hypothetical Mr. Smith. <laughs> um, but, but Mr. Smith has very strong views with regard to the matter of alcohol. For him, it's the devil in solution. Uh, and... Uh, he's an absolutely, totally convinced temperance man. But, but Mr. Jones down here is much more relaxed about it. Uh, he doesn't have uh, a major conscience problem with, with taking a little alcohol from time to time, a glass of wine with a meal or maybe a glass of beer on a hot day. That doesn't trouble his conscience before the Lord, not a bit. So there are these profound differences between our two brethren but Mr Smith over there doesn't wave temperance leaflets in front of Mr Jones or urge him every day to sign the pledge uh, and Mr Jones down here if he has Mr Smith around for a meal uh, will not drink a glass of wine in front of him because he knows it offends his brother so why are they handling this? Why are they living together with these very widely different points of view? Simply because they are the Lord's. That's why. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Brown is an elderly widow. Uh, uh, and she has strong views about keeping the Lord's day. Uh, for her... And nothing of any secular nature must intrude on Sunday. All the meals are prepared the night before. Everything that uh, has anything to do 
where the secular world is removed and put carefully away, she will only read Christian literature or spend time in meditation. Uh, that's for her is a, 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 a matter of conscience how she will keep Sundays. On the other hand, uh, Mrs. Wyatt down here has four young children uh, and uh, her husband is away working on the oil rigs so he's away a lot of the time and, and they've talked together between them when they are together as to how they will want to try and ensure that their children don't see Sunday as a day to be horror struck as, a, as, a, as such a restrictive, miserable day that it makes them feel gloomy. So they've developed a way of uh, ensuring that their children will see that Sunday is a different day, but not to so make it a miserable day. And they've developed that. Uh, and Mrs Brown, in her kindness, has invited Mrs White and the children to Sunday lunch. But she doesn't expect the children to sit like stuffed dummies throughout the whole of the meal uh, and, uh, uh, and the afternoon. Uh, and, and, and Mrs. White tells her children, now when we go to Mrs. Brown's, uh, you don't know rampaging around the garden uh, and kick her flowers over and, and so on and scream at the top of your voice. You play quietly. And so they live together in that way. They spend Sunday together in that way. And why do they do that? Because they are the Lord's. And that's the way it works. Uh, uh, and that's really what Paul is dealing with here. Somebody has a conscience about the food that they eat or what they drink. Others are more relaxed about it. Their, their, their conscience is clear before the Lord it should not be a matter of division. It should not be a matter of falling out. We live together. And we relate to one another. And what is the glue that holds us together? In any company of the Lord's people, just this. We are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. His people which is a huge and wonderful privilege, isn't it? Uh, and and, and I, I feel I must say this, um, there are any of you here who wouldn't um, make that claim for yourself? I want to tell you, there is no greater blessing than to know that you belong to the Lord. And you can be. You can be. Because uh, in his great mercy... He has made that, that privilege available to all who will come uh, and humbly and penitently bow before him and cast themselves upon his mercy. And by that act of faith in a loving saviour who died for sinners, by that act of faith you become one of the Lord's people. Uh, and, and all the... Riches of this world cannot compare with that great privilege. Whether we live or die, 
we are the Lord's. Well, it raises some questions. Um, uh, how is it so? How has it become like that? How can it be said of men and women like you and me and young folks, um, flesh and blood, before a holy God who is spirit uh, and glorious, how can we claim such, such a privilege? Well, how has this happened? Well, first of all, it's happened as a, a matter of choice. So how have things come into your possession? Well, many of them, the things you've got in your home that are very precious that you chose. You liked the look of them and you saw them in the shop and you said, I'll have that, and you chose it. And now it's become yours. It's uh, one of the privileges of being in a pastoral situation that um, uh, you have the joy of listening to people who come to you and say, Pastor, I want to be baptised, I want to join the church. Uh, and, and as a wise pastor, you, um, you, you try and ensure that uh, their profession is a genuine one. You ask them just gently, how is it um, you came to know the Lord? Why do you feel you want to follow him in this way? And they tell you their stories, so you hear their testimonies. And they are many and they are varied. But you notice, or at least I have noticed over the years, how very often in their story there's a lot of I about it. You know, I went to this meeting. Um, I read this book. Uh, my friend invited me to church. And so on. Those, those sort, and there's a lot of, you know, I in the story. And, and that's how they see it. And that's understandable. You know, at the beginning, it's how it seems, doesn't it? That, that, that somehow you, you, you embarked upon a certain course of action that ultimately led you to become a Christian. But then you talk to such folk a bit down the line, maybe a couple of years or so, and subtly but importantly that their story has changed. Instead of saying, I went to this meeting, they start to say to you, the Lord lent me to that, led me to that meeting. Or the Lord touched my friend to speak to me. Or, or the Lord uh, opened up for me this particular book that changed my life. Because they've come to realise, experience has told them that what they thought was a conscious action on their part that they initiated actually took place because God initiated it. Uh, and, and that's because, and the scripture teaches this so clearly, and there's no escaping from it, it tells us that before the foundation of the world, before God ever spoke the words saying, let there be light, he chose his people. He knew them. He knew them by name. That's just, that's just so mind-blowing, isn't it? Because, um, you know, in, in, in our busy world, um, th there are countless millions of people who don't know me. <laughs> I've got a queen, a monarch, she doesn't know me. I'm one of her subjects, she doesn't know my name. The king of the universe knows my name. 
Jesus, my good shepherd, called me by name before the universe. Chosen. So, so this, is, this is just so staggering because it, it, it's where eternity passed. God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in this eternal communion uh, with each other. Um, th- th- this amazing relationship between the three persons of the Trinity has broken into this world, this time, this place, and this one and that one, they're mine, they're mine. I have chosen them. It's a wonderful confirmation, isn't it, of the sovereignty of God. He doesn't act in a random fashion. He's not haphazard. It's a matter of deliberation. If you're a Christian tonight, it was because God deliberated over you in eternity past. Can you just get your head around that? (laughs) Uh, That he had a purpose for you. a, a, A loving purpose. Because it was his desire to have a people for himself his own people Uh, to be a living testimony to his loving kindness to undeserving sinners so he chose you if you are the Lord's tonight and it's all done in love See, this is just so important because sometimes people have come across this doctrine or it's been presented in such a way that, that you know, election, that's what we're talking about, that, that it, it comes over sometimes as something a bit harsh and callous and unfeeling. Um, you know, God chooses some and not others. Why? Uh, and and, it be, and then... then in, in, in your mind it becomes a, a cruel God but that is so so far from the biblical truth see but Paul he's writing to the church in Thessalonica he said we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you how does Paul know that God chose these Thessalonian Christians not because he's got some sort of hotline into glory or some special revelation. It's because he sees the love of God at work in their lives. That's how he knows. Election is not a harsh doctrine. It's a matter of incredible love and grace. It's one to glory in. It's where heaven has touched earth. This little speck of rock that we call planet Earth has known the sovereign grace of God in choosing for himself a people. So you're really saying something, aren't you? If tonight you can say from your heart in all sincerity, I am the Lord's. But that's not the only way. How do things come into your possession? 
Sometimes they are gifts, aren't they? And this is a very wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> you, if you are the Lord's tonight, you are a present to the Lord Jesus from his Father because the Father loves the Son. And, and that's how we express our love and affection, don't we? By giving one another gifts. Uh, and, and so God the Father, out of love for his Son, the Lord Jesus, has given him a people for himself. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's to be found particularly in John's Gospel, in that, that, that lovely high priestly prayer. Let me just read to you some some verses from this Uh, John 17 verse 24 Father I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they might behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world that just encapsulates it doesn't it the father loved the son and therefore, he gives him a people, and if you're the Lord, you're one of them. Uh, 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 and elsewhere, uh, in, in, this same, in this same prayer, um, Father, at the beginning of the prayer, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, uh, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And again, if you're looking at the chapter, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. I might well have told you this story. (laughs) Um, It's it's one of the difficulties when you're preaching around different churches a lot to just try and remember what you said where (laughs) and when. But, But I love the story. You know there was a great revival in 1859. Uh, and it spread across the Western world, uh, and it started in various places, in, in New York, in a prayer meeting, but also it, start, it started in Ulster, uh, in Northern Ireland. Uh, and there were three young men there who just got together and prayed. Uh, and one of them was called Jeremiah uh, Maneely or McNeely, depends which book you read, it's it maybe spelt. Um, quietly different. He'd come across this uh, well-known verse from John's Gospel, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. There it is again, you see, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Uh, and, and Jeremiah was in a labour of conscience over this. How can I know? How can I know? Oh, yeah, I'd give anything to know. I am one of the given ones. How can I know? And a wise companion said to him, Jeremiah, you've forgotten the other part of the verse. And all that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And that's the question. Have you come to him? Then you will know whether you're one of the given ones. And, and you won't know any other way. That's how you know. You, you, you ask yourself tonight, am I one of these favoured people? You're asking yourself that question. It would be good to ask it of yourself. How can I know? Have you come to him? Have you come to Christ? 
Because you wouldn't come if you weren't a given one. <laughs> That's how you know. And, and Jeremiah, I, he said, I see it now. I see it now. And he burst into, burst into thanksgiving. Never forget. You know, when the doubts assail you, uh, as, as um, they, they do, when the, the evil one has a pop at you, as he will, when he, when he starts saying to you, what makes you think that you're a Christian? What makes you think you're going to hold out to them? What makes you think you're going to get to heaven? When he does that, he will do that. Never forget that you came to Christ you cast yourself upon the Saviour. And because you did that, you have been given to him. And wouldn't it be wonderful if tonight, if you hadn't that confidence, you could say it now. I've been given to him. I am, I am, I am the Lord's because well, the Father gave me to Jesus Christ. And I know because I've come to him. That's how I know yeah, as a choice, uh, as, a, as a gift, but, but also there's one third reason why it is possible to say tonight, I am the Lord's, and that is because of a purchase. There's something of a paradox here, because uh, we've said it's a gift, <laughs> and, and that's the point of a gift, isn't it? You know, the gifts that you've been given by your loved ones, you haven't, you haven't had to pay for them, but they have had to. Somebody has had to purchase it somewhere. It doesn't just come out of the blue, out of, out of nowhere, does it? Somebody has paid a price. How can you say, I am the Lord's tonight? It's because you have been bought with a price. Uh, uh, and um, at a great cost. Yeah, the one to whom you belong now if you are the Lord's um, has willingly and lovingly and graciously exchanged all the glories of heaven where he belonged by right and and humbled himself and clothed himself in our humanity Uh, and from the worship and the adulation of the angelic host comes to this world where few, when he came, recognised him, had any time for him, and those who did hated him. Uh, And in his humanity, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was tired, he was tempted, he was under extreme pressure, and he was misunderstood, and he was maligned, until they took him, uh, and they beat the skin from his back, with a cruel scourge and they crammed a crown upon his head of thorns and the blood runs down his cheeks and they strip him and they take him and they nail him upon a cross here is the Lord of life itself here is the one that the angels worship and here he is suffering, bleeding, dying upon the cross of Calvary in order that he might purchase you. Because you belong to another. You did. 
You might not um, feel that's true. You might not recognise it, but that is the truth. Uh, I mean, we're very proud of our... We're told, aren't we, in these strange days to, uh, you know, to, to love ourselves, uh, to be filled with self-esteem. Know yourself. And so one of the consequences of that philosophy is you say to yourself, well, I am my own person. So you get to the stage where you say, well, nobody tells me what to do. I'm my own person. You're not your own person. You never were your own person. Because if you don't belong to the Lord, you belong to another. And he had you in his grip. And he bound you around with invisible chains. Uh, and, and using the pernicious influences of the world, he, he fastened upon the nature that you were born with, which is inclined to rebellion and sin, and he dragged you down, and he will drag you all the way down to hell unless you are released and set free. And for that to happen, somebody had to pay a price. And Jesus Christ paid it. You're not your own. You are born with a price. And that, that is the joy for him. What joy is this? In this, this, this intense, bitter suffering. Well, this is his compensation. By this means, he purchased a people for himself a people to be with him in glory the compensation for the travel of his soul but this is the glory that follows his suffering he has a people and this is what it means if you can say tonight I am the Lord's yeah chosen given bought that's how you are the Lord's. And what will that mean then? Well, there is a way of telling whether you belong to the Lord, if you, if you want to know what it is. And, and Paul just, just gives it for us, doesn't he, here? He says, if we live, we live to the Lord. <laughs> That's how you'll know. Are you living to the Lord? In other words... Are your interests uh, consonant with his interests? Is that what motivates the way you think and the way you behave? Is this going to please my master? And what, what, what interests him? His word. Do you love his word? Well, that, that is important to him. His word. He is the word made flesh. His people. You take great delight in being amongst his people. Isn't that one of the things that we've missed? <laughs> um, talking this afternoon with my friends, uh, you know, doing this miserable lockdown period, just the, just the informal fellowship with one another, just to see one another, just to chat with one another, to share with one another. <clears throat> he loves his people, so his people... His people love him and will love his people as a consequence. His honour is important to you. Uh, and it grieves you when you hear people take his name in vain. 
I mean, how, how would you feel if somebody used your wife's name as a casual swear word? And yet, you know, that's what we hear each and every day around us, isn't it? And, 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 it, and it grieves you. It should do. That's how you will know. Uh, and you will cherish that which is dear to him. Which is supremely the salvation of other sinners. So that's what you will long for. One way or another. If it's only just the general manner of your life. Where it can speak so much to your neighbours. Different people. Different ideas. Different way of looking at things. Because you're the Lord's. <laughs> and that is what's governing uh, that lifestyle. You will represent him when you can and you will speak for him uh, and you'll behave accordingly. And if it comes to it, and it might well do that, and many of the Lord's people are knowing this at the moment, you will suffer for him. Uh, And strangely and paradoxically, you will find even joy in that. It's a strange thing, isn't it, to say? That you, you, you can take some some delight in suffering for the Lord's sake because you love him (laughs) and why do you love him because he first loved you and you belong to him that's how you know and remember through all of this with, with all its ups and downs and that is the nature of life and of the Christian life remember his commitment to you he chose you he was given to you And you were given to him, and he died for you. And so you live to the Lord, and then you die to the Lord when the time comes. As far as we are concerned in our humanity, death breaks all bonds, doesn't it? Our loved ones, that that, that earthly bond that binds us together, a family of love, affection, um, death. We'll bring that to an end. But this bond is never broken, ever. Even death cannot break it. If you are the Lord's, you know how Paul puts it. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, height, depth, or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, not even death, (laughs) can break that bond because you belong to him. Uh, And of course, uh, those earthly bonds which are so precious to us, which are broken, then one day they will be re-knit, won't they? with those who are brothers and sisters in the Lord, we will be gloriously reunited one day and those bonds will be re-established, which is one of the great sort of blessings that goes along with belonging to the Lord. What the future holds. The glorious inheritance that awaits the people of God. So here's the question I want to leave with you. To whom do you belong? You are not your own. (laughs) Like it or not, you're not your own, even in the material world, let alone the spiritual world. 
Um, but if you belong to the Lord, then that is the way in which you will think about those around you in the church fellowship and how you react to them and how you respond to them. Uh, even over differences of opinion and viewpoints. You know, it's this exercise that we have to engage upon that uh, of, of distinguishing between what is primary and what is secondary. What is primary? That which we cannot compromise on any price. The great truths of the gospel. What is secondary? Well, all sorts of issues. <laughs> what hymn book? What version? Even what mode of baptism? There are differences. But we are the Lord's. Uh, and and, and um, that, 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 that then will, will, will regulate the way in which we view those things. This is the wonder of the gospel, though, isn't it? If, 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 if tonight you, you, you could not say, I'm, I, I, I'm, sh- I'm not sure about this, I don't know exactly who I belong to, then, then you see, the wonder of the gospel is just this, that that, that, that can change. And, I, and I, I, I would just plead with you tonight to avail yourself of this most wonderful blessing far, far beyond anything the world can provide for you. So that you cherish the truth. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. And you can say that. You can say, I am his and he is mine. How wonderful is that?